Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a weekly podcast focusing on e-commerce topics featuring interviews with prominent people in the e-commerce space. For Practical E-Commerce, I'm Kevin Patrick Allen. E-commerce merchants want consumers to take action. That's what marketing is all about. Reaching potential customers and convincing them to take action. More specifically, to buy, to make a purchase. Dr. B.J. Fogg is a professor at Stanford University who studies ways in which technology can be used to change behaviors in positive ways, to take action. He's also the creator of the Fog Behavior Model. He's our guest today. BJ, first of all, thank you very much for your time. Good to be here. I'll start with a, a very hard question for you. What is the Fog Behavior Model? So I created a behavior model that helps people understand what causes behavior change. And I was motivated to do that because there's a lot of psychology and behavior change thinking out there that's either too complicated or it's incorrect. And, you know, earlier I'd worked with some of these models and theories and they just really didn't work that well. So I thought, you know, I need to rethink this and make it more accurate and simpler. With e-commerce, and that's who our listeners and readers are primarily, how do they need to take the information that you've distilled and how can they use that to to better reach their audience and, and perhaps increase sales? Well, the behavior model has three parts, and um, to be able to achieve an e-commerce goal, you need to be able to account for all three parts. Number one is uh, your user or your customer needs to be motivated or have some level of motivation. Number two, they need to be able to do what you're asking them to do. And number three, you need to trigger the behavior you want them to do, whether it's to uh, buy something, sign up for a newsletter, tell a friend about a product, what have you, but you have to trigger the behavior. And so as you look at the experience and the, the behavior you want from your customer or the user, you have to think through those three elements. Are we, and you think about it actually in the reverse order, are we triggering the behavior? Are they able to do what we're asking them to do? And then if both of those are yeses, then uh, are they motivated to do it? And so it's a simple and accurate way to think about behavior change, and it's a way to discuss and share among the team or, um, or or campaign to say, are we triggering this? Is it simple enough? What's the motivation? And if one of those pieces is missing, then the team can focus on it and fix that piece. Let's break it down into a, into a real-life example. Let's say that I have an e-commerce store and I specialize in blenders. And maybe I have a video on the, on the, on the front of the site uh, where it shows uh, these are the different features of the blenders. How could that video be better using the Fog Behavior Model? 
I think understanding where your customer is coming from is the first step. So doing some, and it doesn't take tons of research. If you understand where your customer is coming from and you need to, and you can do that through some pretty simple research, then you understand what elements the video needs to hit. If they need to be motivated to buy the blender, then the video should focus on the motivational aspect, how it makes their life easier, how it will make them healthier, and so on. If they're already motivated, then the video shouldn't be around motivation. It should be around uh, ability, making it simpler to buy the blender. And so it might be more of an explanation. Here's what you do to buy the blender, and uh, here's what the process is. So some videos are about motivation, and some videos are about explaining processes or making the behavior you want simpler to do. Now, when you talk about motivation, that, that some audiences are already motivated and, and uh, some are not, uh, can you give us an example of industries where that might be the case versus one where you really kind of have to, to spur them on a little bit? Yeah. Well, let's say you're running uh, a site that's about weight loss. Uh, anybody coming to that site came there because they already have some motivation built in. You can almost count on that. Our culture already has tons of motivation about main, motivational messages around maintaining weight. So that kind of... Uh, Verticals, at least the initial encounter with somebody who's coming to the site, they're already motivated. So at that point, it's about facilitating, making it easier, and triggering the behaviors you want. Whereas, oh, let's say uh, somebody's on Facebook and they're looking at their feed, and somebody says, "Hey, here's this great new camera." Well, that person may not be motivated at all. First of all, to click on the link for the camera or even buy the camera. So somehow you have to figure out how to, what's the message to be able to click on this link to come to our page. And once they're the page, what gets them to watch the video? And then the video is about saying, here's this great camera, capture memories of the holidays. So then uh, basically the message in the video is more, more motivational rather than instructional. And let's talk about triggers, especially these days when you you have Twitter and Facebook, and you, you just have a variety of tools to to reach out to your consumers. What are some good triggers, and and what are some uh, maybe triggers that that are not so effective? Yeah, that, you know, I've kind of boiled it all down to nine words, and I haven't published this yet, not in any formal way. But the nine words, this is my mantra: it's put hot triggers in the path of motivated people. So what that means, a hot trigger is something that you can take action on. It's like click this link, you know, click this button, uh, enter your information here. So a hot trigger says do this, and the hotness means they can do it right now. As opposed to a cold trigger, I'm driving along and the radio says donate. Well, I can't donate right now. That's a trigger, but it's cold. What we can do with technology is give people hot triggers, things they can do right now. Now, the next part of that phrase, put hot triggers in the path of motivated people, is in their path. So what you have to do is figure out what is the path of my potential customers. Well, their email inbox is probably one path. They already looked through that. A Facebook feed might be one path. A Twitter stream might be a path. So you have to think through what is the existing path of my audience and how do I put a hot trigger in that path. In your lab there at Stanford, it has to be a time in which it's exciting to work in the industry you're in. How much have things changed over, say, the past three years in terms of the research you do and the amount of people that it applies to? Wow, that's a good question. I think um, 
So I've been looking at computers and persuasion since 1993, and at the time it was considered a little bit crazy that, you know, computers would be set up to change people's behaviors. And now that's pretty ordinary. Pretty much every website that exists has some persuasive intent. So in that term, it's changed dramatically. What's changed a lot in the last three years is due to things like Facebook, Twitter, and MySpace. What's happening is the information we're exposed to more and more comes to us through friends and less and less through broadcast channels, broadcasting TV or print media or even just email spam. And so we're paying more and more attention to what our friends are recommending to us. So those paths that are coming to us through Facebook or Twitter or something that comes through from a trusted friend in our email inbox, those things are getting much, much more important. In our research at Stanford, we've looked at Facebook and social sharing of information and how how that can be leveraged to achieve uh, the goals that you want. And so anybody that's, that's working in e-commerce or anybody that's working in persuasive technology needs to understand the growing role that our friends, our social network, is playing in filtering the information. Broadcast stuff is getting less and less important, less and less effective, and what's becoming more effective is looking what uh, friends are telling friends. So at the end of the day, you're golden if you can inspire people to tell others about what you're doing because that not only ends up in my path, whether it's my Facebook feed or my inbox, but it comes from a trusted source. And so that's really the holy grail right now in moving forward. You know, BJ, when you, you mention friends sharing information with friends and those being the people that are in many cases your customers or, or influencers uh, that can reach out to customers, it does make you think of the traditional Amway salesman and how, uh, boy, uh, that person comes your way and you're hiding. Um, that person invites themselves over to your house. Um, you, you politely ask them ask them to leave. What, what What is the difference between that and somebody that's effective in, in really influencing a group of people and in increasing their sales? Well... The difference is, is somebody meeting my needs or are they distracting me with something I don't want? So if somebody comes to you with something that matches a need you have, you welcome that. In fact, you don't even see that exchange as persuasion. The most effective persuasion is the one that doesn't even seem like persuasion. So it seems like help. It seems like assistance. Oh, great. I needed this you know, way to clean my dog. Awesome. Thank you for bringing it to me. Whereas if somebody comes and tries to get you to do something that doesn't solve a problem for you, you're like, you're distracting me from all the other problems I'm trying to solve. You're frustrating me. You're creating an awkward social situation. So really the difference is matching, um, finding the people who have needs that you can solve. And if you can match that at least pretty closely, um, not only will it be a much nicer conversation or interaction, but they're going to look at you as a source of solving problems rather than somebody who's distracting from the other problems they need to solve. BJ, as uh, I mentioned, our readers and listeners are primarily small e-commerce merchants. Anything else you'd like to share with them today? Well, um, maybe just this thought that has to do with testing stuff. Um, you know, just put things out there, see if they work, and if they don't, try something else. Nobody can predict 100% of the time what's going to work, whether it's here's this video or here's, here's this messaging and so on. You have to be pretty nimble and try lots of stuff, measure what works, and what's working, grow that, and what's not working, stop and try something else. B.J. Fogg, creator of the Fogg Behavior Model. B.J., thank you very much for your time. 
Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this week's e-commerce conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Please tune in next week for another new episode.